Hello, and welcome to the FM Podcast. I'm Jen Fritz, and I run Fritz Media, a music publicity and digital marketing firm located in Vancouver, Canada. And this is a bonus episode. So we decided to put together a best of season three episode for you to kind of get everyone excited about season four, which starts next week. We're doing our season four premiere on Tuesday, May 9th. And I went through and, you know, I found some of our favorite moments from last season. And it was really great to be reminded of the amazing conversations we had. And uh, I got to tell you, it got me really excited about doing season four. Okay, so to start things off, to get things rolling, here's a clip from a conversation with fellow music publicist Adam Bentley from Otter Research. You know, it's always fun to talk to someone who does the exact same job as you. So you can, you know, discuss trends that are happening in the industry, where you think things are moving in the media landscape. And uh, we actually ended up having a really great discussion about something that pretty much every music publicist is talking about these days. And that's paid content and uh, how that factors into an artist's publicity plan. The mid-tier sites have kept their niches, kept their kind of like people that go there every day. And it's a small amount, but that's their site. Exactly. And that's their place. And it, 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 they've been able to stay afloat that way now. They don't have the ad money that they used to have. And you're seeing more like people that all of a sudden it's like, hey, yeah, but you know what? We're now wanting $10 for this. And it's- Oh, this is, I really want to have this discussion with you because- uh, <laughs> It's coming up a lot, gonna, isn't it? There has always been an element of uh, paid content and what we do yep. already. Um, I know most publicists, most music publicists alongside their organic pitching will use services like SubmitHub because of a lot of yep. blogs and playlists. That's the only way that you could, you know, pitch to them. So you, you know, you, you kind to have to use it, Direct. but now there's a lot more that are that you can pay for. Yeah, you can. I can pay you for to do an interview with my artist. I can pay you to do a song review, um, a video review. On the one hand, kind of sucks for us, but yeah, I can build it into the cost. That's fine. Also, I feel good about it because you're pay- like I. I don't mind giving these people money. <laughs> It's different than the, what I think pay to play was for a long time, where it was like an act of desperation and it wasn't like the the content was usually getting worse. It was like a sign that the site was, oh, they're doing pay to play, like this is probably yeah. good. And they were usually out within like six months. Like they just, yes, that was a first sign. Now it's different. Now it's like an actual survival tool. So they have the time to make these sort of posts. When, I, you know, some artists will, um, you know, kind of be upset that we're using these online pitch platforms. And it's like, why wouldn't I? These are real sites and playlisters and curators. Like, why wouldn't I use that tool? Is it, you know, because they're on there? It's totally is true. That devaluing it? And the other thing is too, it's like the outside person has no idea what's paid and what isn't. Like, no idea. So like, w- what does it matter to you? Like, what... <laughs> And if you don't tell the artist, they have no idea. Most of the time, you know? yeah. So, like, and, and some people are very up on, like some artists know, like all of these places already, they, they've done that. And, and it's part of it. And those are the ones you be transparent with, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like I usually say we use online pitch platforms just uh, now because I think for a lot of artists, it's it's just like, oh yeah, of course you would. Yeah. Like it's always been there. Smith Hub started in 2015, yeah. you know. Um, no, I have to tell them too, so that they don't. That's why I tell them. Cause I'm like, we use these platforms. So you can't, 
well, well, the campaign's going on <laughs> because there's no. Right. Yeah. If you want to go back later and do a follow up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You can go ahead. Go but for it. I have no idea who you're pitching if we're doing it at the same time. <laughs> and even on there, like on all the and, and, and there's there's many of them now and, and you build relationships. But the ones that are direct, those are the ones where sometimes you get some great pieces. But you're also talking about costs that can go into for a, there's some interview pieces at and major publications will cost you like 400 Canadian dollars. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh like right now it's kind of like everybody's kind of starting to do it so the costs aren't that high. Yeah. I do personally feel like this is where things are going. I would I would tend to agree uh, to the point where we've had a a paid partnership like section on uh, you know that we've had for a while. We've got we're we're really tracking it. Yes. Now. And I think as as publicists, we're going to have to go in and be like, here's our costs and here's like, there might be options. Because the other thing with most of these, the good ones at least, they still have to accept. Mm-hmm. They still have to, they have to go, yeah, this is good. I like this. So yeah. But no, it's true. It's it, true. Like you can't just pay anybody to like. <laughs> there I, are places that you can. But yes. But those are the, the ones we usually say, ignore that. Don't worry about it. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to pay someone, I want it to be somewhere that's useful. <laughs> so. But it, it's another avenue of of advertisement and, you know, the value of certain SEO and things that are being data mined and all the social and streaming platforms, it, it can sometimes be worth it, especially when you're needing that sort of mass. It's happened a little faster than I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really kicked up, I will say, especially like just from the beginning of this year, even. Um, I'm finding yeah. it like... Last three weeks, it's been like, you know, there, there's there's a, a couple new team members and, and one of the the, the guys is, is just keeps passing me like he's using context he's had before, but now he's, he's getting integrated in our list. Yeah. And he keeps me like, Oh, this, this go-to contact of yours that you said was great for this thing. Now it's $25 for that. Yeah. Okay. Like, oh, okay. That's all right. <laughs> we'll make a note. We'll make, we'll make a note of that and uh, we'll have to make adjustments, but it, it, it may, the, the problem with it, I think for emerging acts is the budgets are always so tight as is. Yes. Yeah. And, and it can quickly get things out of control. And if you're adding advertising into that as well, we were talking about the education of advertising. And one of it is like, your money doesn't go that far. No, uh, uh, it sure doesn't. And and you need to do it fairly consistently to see results, especially with how the AI systems are working on all these platforms backends. They get smarter. The longer you run it, the more money you give them. Yes. Yeah. They, if the creative's good. No, if, if, the if, you're, if you're running a good ad, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, here's another one of my favorites. On episode 40, I talked to Indidio and Trish Klein about their new project, The Blue and Gold, which celebrates the musical artistry and legacy of pioneering female blues musicians. And we discussed the history of white musicians stealing from black artists. Really great discussion there. And uh, also got into the expectations that are put on black musicians, especially women. We all we all know the story. We all know it. There are some that, you know, like, say, the Rolling Stones that that will say that they, you know, tried to prop and try to help. Uh, but they paid. Yeah. They paid. They actually paid these people. They paid these people back then. Keith Richards, I will give him this. He was very adamant about recognizing. So every black blues artist they took from 
is accredited on their albums from the start. From the start, he was like, this is the music I love. This is who's inspiring how I play. I might have taken this riff. We're crediting them. And he was the only one. They were the only one from that whole scene. And Zeppelin, Eric Clapton, the Bloody Beatles were all taking from African-American artists at the time. We're all taking from them and not giving them any ounce of credit, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's, and it still goes on today. Like you think of like, think of the Amy, Amy Winehouse. People are like, oh my God, second coming of who knows, whatever. But you compare it to like African-American artists that sound better, like Jasmine Sullivan. She's a bloody amazing R&B singer. Yeah. You know, is known now, but it took a really long time for her to get the recognition that she should have gotten way back then. You know, she has like literally a 10 records, like 10 albums to her name. And now you're just hearing about her. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's the, I call it the Adele phenomena. It's like the, the blue-eyed soul. It's so much more pal- palatable, apparently, to the white audience. Whereas, you know, it's expected for black artists. Like, it's expected for me to do music like that. Like, it's interesting. Even in this project, the response from people that know my other work are like, oh my God, I love this new sound. It's so great for you. And my brain is like, A, I don't have the time to teach you the microaggression that you just pulled on me right then. And B, of course it is, because it fits into your white narrative of what a black singer should sound like, what what kind of styling a black person should do. And so it's really infuriating that these women were stolen from by these white men that just commodified it and sold it and were able to sell it at a higher scale without paying these people properly, without bringing them up. It's like, why do you have to do it? Why don't you just bring this person up and let them perform or have them open for you or just... But that's not the mentality, and it's still not the mentality today. No, it isn't. I think of all the white white rap, white rappers that are getting so famous off of a, a, a style of music that is very, very much rooted in African-American culture. Yep. It's not just white. It's like all other cultures are rapping now. But are they bringing up the, the black artists that they've taken this entire vibe from? No. No. It, it, it's true. They might shout them out like Macklemore, but they're not bringing them up which is what you need to be doing. You need to step out. Why do you have to do this music? I get that you love it, but maybe just like bring the black people you're stealing from up because for a lot of African-Americans, they have two options in their life to either be some kind of successful musician, like rapper, R&B singer, or be a professional sports person. And it's like, there aren't a lot of options or encouragement. It's like always be a commodity that white men can profit off of. That's what you're basically taught to be. Yeah. And you fit, Mm -hmm. you fit into the box. You have to fit into the box too. Yeah. And it sucks that even by doing music that is very much rooted in my ancestry, like this is what people are like, oh, we love it so much than the original stuff I do. That's like, that's fucking sucks. I like to experiment in my, I'm doing what these women did back then. Yes. Creating of my own volition. But because when I created my own volition doesn't fit and I don't sound like what you stereotypically think a black woman should sound like in music. I'm not doing a black genre necessarily. It's like just, it's there's been the story of my whole career. Constantly battling white people to allow me the space to be the artist I've decided I want to be, to create sounds how I want to create them, to manifest music how I want to do it, of my own autonomy, not because I'm trying to fit in what you deem is necessary for black people to fit in. It's been to my detriment. I mean, maybe I could have been further along in my career had I played by some games, but you know, I am where I am. Yeah. Doing what I'm doing. 
but it just sucks that even in this project, what we're doing is so powerful and honoring these women. Just some of the response has been just this weird microaggression. <laughs> and I'm talking about it on the podcast because I don't have the energy when somebody comes to me after I've just performed to yeah. be like, yeah, you do know that that's messed up what you're saying to me, right? Like you do, do you understand what a microaggression is? That's what you did. Maybe look at your own bias and your own stereotypes in your brain before you just approach yes. me and say this stuff. You can say that was awesome. I love what you guys are doing. But it's like, I love this for you in a really weird way. <laughs> yeah, you're being... That's yeah. what that's what's happened. It's not like you and me, Trish. It's like you, black lady, do a black lady. You're being a black lady now. I love that. You're, you're fitting into what I expect you to fit into. No, it's, Thank you. it's true. And you, you bring up Sucks. a valid point. There are like many, many white people like myself <laughs> uh, have this idea of how we want black music to sound. And... It's important to examine that, people, please. I mean, if you even look at who won the Grammy for Album of the Year, John Baptiste, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a super fan of his music, but I listened to the album and it's it's good. Like he's ve- he's a very talented musician, but what he made that got him that Grammy was very stereotypical, like freedom, I'm a black person singing about freedom. Totally. Don't you feel good? Yeah. Don't you feel good? Black people make you feel good. Yeah. And that's what he's doing like that. It's good. Like he's good. He's good. But it's very much like blackity black, black. I'm doing what you expect me to do. I'm shucking and jiving. Don't you feel good? You're listening to this music. You feel like you're down in a dirty club. Yeah. Like it's just very specific. And of course, the white people are like, yes, that's what we want. Yeah. He fit a narrative and he looks good. And so, you know, the industry backed it. Whereas more experimental artists, it's like impossible. It's true. Well, at the Grammys this year, also, uh, the reggae album was won by a bunch of white people. <laughs> oh, man. The Grammys are so irrelevant. Like, so... White guys. So, like, what? Are you actually legit? Ki- and I just feel like that's why maybe they're like, well, we can let that slide because this. Like, it's just obnoxious. The whole thing is a mess. Yeah. I mean, the Grammys are just... It's it's It's... Just garbage. It's all manipulated behind the scenes. The rooms are ridiculous. It's just like friends being up with friends. It's just a mess. Well, that's the whole music industry, isn't it? Yes, (laughs) very much so. (laughs) That's totally true. So on episode 37, I had a great conversation with Kezia Myers, who's the executive director of Advance, which is Canada's Black Music Business Collective. And we talked about how music industry professionals can help to level the playing field when it comes to diversity and inclusion. There's been a lot of conversations at conferences and, you know, Juno Awards and that sort of thing over the years, kind of addressing diversity and inclusion in the Canadian music industry. And I, the one thing that always comes up, you know, eventually will be the idea of meritocracy, where a lot of the people at the top, I don't know a nice way to say it, but think they deserve to be there, that they, that they got there, like through their own, they were the best and, and, and they got there. I, I wonder like what's how you deal with that sort of thinking, because I'm sure you come up against that in your role at advance? Absolutely. Uh, we do. And, you know, the nice thing to say is that there are a lot that understand their privilege and their white privilege specifically. And oftentimes they're cis male white privilege specifically. <laughs> yeah. And then there's others that don't. And when it comes up across my desk or a conversation, I'm given the opportunity to have a conversation openly about it. 
It's really at looking at systemic barriers. Yes, you are at the top of an organization, but why are you at the top of the organization? And if I use the example of a cis white male, now I'm saying, well, beyond the fact that you are good at what you've do, you do, you've been given opportunities that others may not have been given, or the opportunities that you have been given have been highlighted, even though there's someone over here who's been doing the exact same thing in a different cultural context and has maybe even had even larger successes, but they haven't been amplified in Canada. They may have been amplified in another country. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know, if I speak of the South Asian community, there are a lot of Punjabi hip hop artists that are widely renowned in South Asia that come to Canada, but we don't see it as a, on our radar in Canadian media. Yeah, we have a big, uh, particularly I'm in Vancouver and I know like Surrey is where where that's happening and it's crazy. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yet, you know, you don't see it in FYI news, for instance, right? So when when I have the opportunity to speak about it, it's really looking at it from a collaboration standpoint. And that's how I move within the industry. That's how advance as a whole moves within the industry is how can we assist? But let's show you some of these hard facts. Yes, you are absolutely good at what you do. However, there are systemic constructs, there's systemic barriers, there's financial barriers, socioeconomic barriers. There are many barriers that are layered one on top of the other, compounded that haven't allowed this other brilliant mind to excel the way that you are you have been able to. Yeah, absolutely. So on episode 35, I got to talk to my good friend, Will, who's been a client at Fritz Media for years. We've known each other for a long time. And we had a really great conversation that was so long that it is now the longest episode that we've made so far. And we talked about how his early career goal of being the best opening band ever is still the same today. And he offered some great advice for young musicians. When we started out, more so than not in in meetings, like board meetings, is that you that you can, you know, they they really are board meetings and there's a lot of people, it's a team of people, uh, whether it's your agency or or the label. I remember very distinctly saying, I would like it if we could become the greatest opening band that ever lived, where there isn't hype based on any of it. No one really knows who we are for that matter, but we show up and play to whoever sh- is in the audience at that time with zero expectation and we perform and it's for 45 minutes and we blow people away and we leave. And I would like to have a career like that. And when you tell like Dean Cameron sitting there with your manager at the time, which is my friend, Dan McManus, who became my manager and whomever else is in the room, nine out of those 10 people just laugh and they they think they think that I'm being silly because I'm a silly person too. And I remember saying those words and only meaning it because I'd seen enough of the industry and I'd known enough about it and I wasn't going to naysay it and be against it. All I knew is that the thing that I wanted to do more than anything was play music in front of people. So what I realized then was all the other heavy lifting, as Dan would say, or all the other bureaucracy or all the other bullshit that can become instantly attached to that, that requires it to be the machine to keep it moving. It all gets really convoluted very quickly and it can have some magically 
profoundly wonderful moments as well. But the thought of having it be 95% business and then only 5% of it is people who give a shit enough to watch you sing a song was frightening to me. So fast forward to this day and age, like we were discussing in the way technology works now and the way younger bands are identifying with the world and being, you know, on social media. Mm -hmm. I would just say that I'm getting to a point too. I swear I'm getting to a point. (laughs) Um, If you, if you are going to be an artist that wants to play an instrument and sing, tell a story through a song, uh, I'll just use that as the medium. And that's something that's in you to do. Do only focus on ever doing that as much as humanly possible. And uh, now granted nowadays, if you're super shy and you have Nick Drake syndrome, you, 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 can't, you can't get up in a coffee shop without pissing your pants. So you do it online. And that's a, that's a very safe place. And I admire and respect that. However, it not, not even however, if that's how you choose to only be seen and that keeps you feeling healthy and good, do that. But the, the aspirations that I see in a lot of younger people is to be very, 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 very well known. Uh, I'll, I'll just use rich and famous again as a term, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say that the caution with that is please understand that there is so much responsibility that comes with being either one of those things. And you can easily lose the plot very quickly without even noticing it if your main focus and, th- and drive that you spend every waking moment thinking about doing is the playing for people and moving a person. So I guess what I'm saying is that like, if, if, if your thing is, oh man, um, it's trimming bonsai trees and you're, you're uh, making bonsai trees and doing that and that's your art form and that's your thing. And then your wife happens to take pictures of it for Instagram as I'm trimming my bonsai trees and Behind the scenes, the whole time she blows it up into some sort of t- billions of followers thing. And then they want to fly you to Japan and trim with the greatest trimmers of bonsai trees and turn it into this thing. If you're doing that and you have zero interest in any of it because all of your focus and attention is on your tree and in, in, in your little shop and your little tree, and that's what you're doing, then just make sure that you stick with that focus of, it, of that being the most important thing that can't, that can't be altered. It doesn't mean you can't go to Japan and learn from a great master or be proud of your wife for having posted photos of it. Just always remember that you're, you were great at trimming a bonsai tree and, and creating one and growing one. And the rest of it happens and it has to happen, especially with that change and that sort of uh, that path. But if it's music, make sure as much as humanly possible that you're not doing it for a paycheck. You're not doing, you're not phoning it in because, or putting on that smile or or feeling like you're putting on the airs and pushing it into a place that you don't recognize you or what it is you're doing. Trust me, I swear, if you stick with the basics of knowing of, of you being immersed in your craft and letting the rest take care of itself, I think there's more success that's sustainable for the rest of your life that way, in my own, my own personal opinion on it. I don't know if that, any of that was an answer. What you're saying is don't lose sight of why you started doing it in the first place. It, and I could have just said that just as easily and it would be way shorter and <laughs> that's more what it, fucking- That's what I'm here for. Wow. <laughs> but it's, you know, and we've heard people say that over the years because those are people that have some wisdom to bestow upon us. 
But those words that you just said that summarizes what I what I'm trying to get out. Like for the love of God, don't end up being 60 and realize that that was the key to it the entire time. All right, so we're going to end things off here with a conversation that I had with Alexis Young. And we had a great talk about how important branding is for musicians. And since she's a musician, she's the lead vocalist in Blonde Diamond, as well as a designer. We talked about how her musical creativity influences her design creativity and vice versa. And we also got into it talking about the cool factor in music. You know, that brings to mind you say that, you know, you can see something and you kind of have an idea of of what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like on that side of branding, in terms of how much it affects people's perception of it, can you make something seem cooler than it is? Oh my, (laughs) I mean, that's the name of the game, baby. (laughs) That's what like we're all trying to do. And like, you know, for me, I... You are always trying to make it look cooler. Like, you know, that's kind of how, that's the whole, like, kind of fake it till you make it. You know, you want it to be, uh, it's all about perception. Mm-hmm. Like, really, the whole the whole music industry is about perception. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know this, right? Yeah. Like, whenever someone's like, oh, your reputation precedes you, it's because they saw something and it caught their eye and they had an idea of you being cooler than you actually are. And it's like, I'm not really that cool, but if I look like I look cool, then I won, you know, maybe I don't, there's kind of, there's kind of an element to that for sure, where you do try to, you try and jazz it up, I think. And, and for me, if I, I do, I I will struggle with the design where I'm like, oh, this is, it's not an accurate representation or it's not cool enough or, and cool is kind of a, a loaded term as well, but Oh, totally. Yeah. Because that's, that's subjective, right? So, so subjective. And also like, I, and I say cool, like I'm throwing it around, but like, cool, cool sucks, you know, like, (laughs) cool, cool is sick, you know, where people go when they are insecure, like, like my favorite people are the uncool people who are just nerds, you know, like, yeah, I like people who are just like sincere and authentic, who are just nerdy. And, you know, they, they know what they like, and they're just committed to it. Right. And then that's what I think is like, actually cool. But there's, there's kind of like a hierarchy of cool, where there's like the cool facade. And then to me, like, real cool is authenticity. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think I was more um, thinking about in terms of, you can make something look cool, but like, in, in music, but there does have to be good music at the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't dress up something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like uh, polish a turd, as they say, or lipstick on a pig. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can. I mean, I think that there's definitely a lot of instances, especially with like major labels of maybe a song not being really that good, but it's being packaged in something really shiny. Mm-hmm. People think it's cool because it's being delivered in, in a presentation that seems like it's cool, but it's really not at the end of the day. But yeah, I mean, like a, a quality song or good music is is all you really need at the end of the day because a good song is undeniable. And so if you can kind of help elevate it with design that captures the magic of that song, then like... Yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of the winning combination. And I know, like, there's a lot of bands that I admire that I think do that really well. Like, we went to um, the Parcels show a couple of weeks ago at the Commodore, 
and it was so beautiful and so good. And we bought the record. And when we kind of pulled out the sleeve, the record, like the, they had, their album was called Day and Night. And so they had like a young child. And then I think it's supposed to be that child as an older man. Um, and the photos are so, so beautiful. And the, the whole experience of like opening up this vinyl is so beautiful. So it's clearly so thought out. The way that the packaging was designed for this vinyl and planned, you could tell that it's the same intention that they have for songwriting, where everything is really planned and, you know, very like carefully orchestrated. And like they have a, a, a there's a vision. Yeah. And you can tell that like right down to the last details in the music production and in the design, like they, they've followed through with this vision. And it's, it's just like, it's such a treat as like a fan, you know, that you get to experience and interact with something like that in a really beautiful way. And it's like, it makes, it makes me care more. Yeah, for you know? sure. I'm just like, I feel more invested in, in the whole thing versus, yeah, you know, when you see a band you really like and then you you get their album and it kind of looks like crap and you're just you're like, like oh. come on guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a, that's unfortunate yeah you kind of you didn't follow through with this you didn't commit no you spent you know you you blew your load if i could say that <laughs> at, you know in the music production and then you didn't you didn't save anything for the design and so they, they all go hand in hand and i think that when people put like equal importance into both of those things that's when you have like a really beautiful experience, you know, yeah. for the listener or for the fan. Yeah. No, that's totally true. And, you know, branding is something that's so important for artists and it, it is often the last thing that gets taken care of, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Well, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard to do. And like, you know, you can't take it lightly either because it's, it's your perception. It's who you are. It's how people view you. It's really important and it's really, really hard to do. And it's like, how do you brand yourself as an artist? I think that's like the hardest thing. Like I have an easier time branding, helping other people with their brand because I can see them. I can see how they come across to me. You know, if someone is more soft-spoken and gentle versus if someone is like very like brazen and bold, you know, like you can create a brand that reflects that. But when you're trying to create your own brand, you don't have a a very good perspective of yourself. And so I think a lot of artists procrastinate because it's hard and then, you know, they, they don't follow through. (laughs) So, I mean, if, if you're able to, to make it a priority, Mm -hmm. like for me, I, I definitely, again, I feel hashtag blessed that I went to design school so that when I was working on my personal branding, Really, I didn't do it intentionally. It was just, I just designed or made things that I liked. And so then over time, it evolved into what was like the Youngblood aesthetic or the Blonde Diamond aesthetic. Like early days of Youngblood, I I was really into like pastel-y pinks and blues. And like everything was pastel-y pink and blue, but it wasn't even like a conscious choice where I was like, this is our color palette. It was just because I really liked those colors at that time. And I remember I would get a lot of feedback that they're like, wow, you're branding is so strong and it's it was just because I liked things then I did it over and over again and I was reusing them but yeah I mean it it is a, a very very important part of the process all right well that's it for our bonus episode best of season three show I hope you liked it and uh, I hope you'll join us next week for the season four premiere episode where we're going to be talking to Sean Hall from the harpoonist and the axe murderer 
Thanks so much for listening to the FM podcast. If you like the show, please tell your friends and give us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps out the show. And uh, you can also help us out by telling a friend about the podcast or posting about the show and how much you like it on social media. Whatever you can do, as always, I really appreciate it. The FM podcast is produced by Fritz Media with production assistance from Carla J. If you want to learn more about Fritz Media, check out our website at fritzmedia.ca. And you can follow us on Facebook. We're at Fritz Media and on Instagram and Twitter at Fritz underscore media. And if you want to learn more about the podcast, go to the fmpodcast.com. And as always, a big thank you to Said the Whale for providing the theme music for the show. And you can find them at saidthewhale.com. Well, that's it, guys. Bye. I'll see you next Tuesday.